Welcome to Politics Then Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Good morning, Houston. Good morning, Texas. Good morning, United States of America. Good morning, world. How's everybody doing today? I trust we're all in great spirits because we will ensure that we're all in great, great spirits. But without further ado, let's say hello to our great control room, Senor Howard Reynolds and Jack Van Beber. How are my folks doing in there? Well, good morning, Egberto. I think we're doing just fine. And I did want to send a shout out to Harry this morning, who sent me a list of smooth jazz songs to play him. And I happened to find the first one, which was Autumn Day from Peter White. So I hope he enjoyed that. And Jack, what you got for us today? You say you were writing some poetry. I can't wait to hear this. Well, I was just thinking about the uh, the stalling uh, uh, Gulf Stream, the Ant- Atlantic Meridional system, whatever. Uh, anyway, anyway, this is this is for Mother Nature out there. I asked a tree what it's like to grow. The trunk bent into a bow. And the branches reached down to caress me. The leaves cupped and kissed my face, and I felt peace. To take sunshine and water and turn it into a cool shadow that blesses the ground. To have roots that anchor me to the world and reach over and touch another tree. To pull water from the earth up to the last leaf on the highest branch and to give breath to the world. I took a deep breath, cupped and caressed the leaves kissing my face, stood and opened my arms to the world and prayed, let me grow deep roots and cast cool shadows of peace on Mother Earth. Wow. You wrote that? Yeah, Poets Corner here. Wow. Wow. That is excellent, man. I love that. I even love the back tone. Thank you, Dr. Van Beber, or I should not, we should probably refer to you going forward as Poet Emeritus. Wow. Jack, Jack Running Fox is my spirit warrior. Okay, Jack okay. Running Fox. That's the way to go. Anyway, folks, we are going to have a great show for you today. Title of the show, Nurses Are Fighting Corporations. Maybe we'll get to that, but we're going to start with Organizing to Win CEO Visits. Organizing to Win is the name of the, the organization. And Lindsey Graham, once again, ridicules themselves. Nurses are fighting back against the corporations. Myra Weinstein visits with Politics Done Right to discuss organizing to empower the masses. I, you know, I said to empower the masses. Their masses are already empowered. They just need to realize that they're empowered. And Lindsey Graham ridicules himself. So, look, I had a, a, a rant that I needed to give as well on, uh, and it, it tied in voting, it tied in perseverance, it tied in. But I don't know. I'm going to see how the day goes first. Maybe I'll hold this off for another day because this is a fairly long interview with uh, my with Mita. Actually, her name isn't Myra. Her name is Mita. Uh, with Mita that I met at Daily uh, at uh, in Chicago at the Netroots Nation, but. Uh, in the process, she got ill, so our interview couldn't take place in Chicago. So yesterday, we actually connected for an important inter- interview. What she does is something that needs to be done, Some something that all of us love to do, those of us who are activists and those of us who, I should say, 
need to be activists as well. So I, I tell you what, what I'll do. Let's first talk about how you can reach the show. Remember, 90.1 FM, you just go to the dial and you get to 90.1 FM. You can also download the TuneIn app, TuneIn app from the Android or Apple store. Uh, just go ahead and search for KPFT and you can then listen to all of our shows and at KPFT on your phone using the Android app. Alternatively, you can go directly to our website, kpft.org, and just type that, click on that listen button, and you can hear us all. And if you want to see us, you know, uh, you can actually see the show live, videos, everything. Today I'm wearing my rock shocks. You know, I'm a psych- I, I was a cyclist on the outside, now I'm a spinner. Because I don't cycle outside anymore. Too dangerous, man. But... Uh, you know, so I, I, I'm wearing my cycle jersey every morning before I because I spin right after the show. But anyhow, facebook.com slash KPFT Houston. Facebook.com slash KPFT Houston is how you can reach us. You can watch us on YouTube live. How can you do that? Go to politicsdoneright.tv, politicsdoneright.tv. And of course, you can check out our podcast at politicsdoneright.com slash podcast. Anyway, folks. Let's get busy and start the program. But I forget, you, if you want to tell me, Egberto, I don't like what you're saying. Or if you want to say, I like what you're saying. Or if you like to say, I want you to cover this subject. Or I hate that you covered this subject. Or you didn't cover this subject the way I would have wanted you to cover this subject. Drop me a line. I'm, I don't take, I do not take criticism negatively at all, especially if it is constructive to make things better. You can just drop a line to kpft at politicsdoneright.com, kpft at politicsdoneright.com. And of course, we want you to call in 713-526-5738. I know I just threw a whole bunch of stuff on you, but you pick out what you need out of there. 713-526-5738. 738 extension number two to get to us. I'm going to go ahead and get started with Mita Weinstein, and then we'll move on from there. Welcome, Mita. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host, sitting here with Barbara Smith-Warner, who is the executive director of National Vote at Home Institute. When I saw that name, I kind of got the butterflies. And you know why? Because... Anything that we can do to increase the vote is what we've got to do if we're going to really have an increase. Well, as usual, every so often, you go ahead and as you're programming the system, one of the files get mixed up, etc., 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 which is something that just happened. But you know what? Because we are a dynamic system here, we can get that fixed right away as we just did. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis. Today we are honored to have Mira Weinstein with us. She is the founder and organizer in chief of Organizing to Win. Uh, anytime I hear organizing or organizing with the word win, that's what it's all about. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Mira, how are you doing today? Good. It's nice to meet you. I'm Mira Weinstein. Oh, I'm sorry. For, I, I, I sorry for saying. Oh, well, wrong. Me, if you speak Mi- Spanish, it's like Mira, yeah. Mira. Mira. Well, hablo español, so it's Mira Weinstein. Okay. All right, Mira. First of all, tell us a little bit about what got you into founding an organization, organizing to win. Well, you know, my whole background is in organizing and political campaigns. 
And so there was a period where I was looking for my next opportunity, figuring out what I was going to do next. And I was interviewing, I was researching, I was networking, I was meeting with people and um, nothing really fit. It just, it, it just, nothing really seemed to be right. And uh, I had a particularly weird meeting at the end of 2019. It wasn't bad. It was just kind of, you know, weird. And I walked out of that meeting thinking, first of all, I don't want to do that. Second of all, why am I killing myself? What I really want to do is help bring people together to build power. And whether I do that with one organization or whether I do that um, with lots of organizations, it doesn't matter. That's what I want to do. And so that's how Organizing to Win was born because I had this view that I wanted to bring people together to build power. Now, Mira, you worked uh, under or rather during the Dukakis campaign, uh, you worked on that years ago. Um, did that influence and, you know, all that went wrong in that campaign, did that, did that have an influence on you uh, stating maybe we needed to do things a little bit different to reach the people we needed to reach? Because, as you know, uh, Dukakis' loss wasn't really because of what he represented, but because of what others sort of imparted on him to represent. Well, I was 18 at the time. Um, <laughs> okay. it was the, I get I get what she uh, she is young audience <laughs> well not that young but okay thanks um, well you know the first time I knocked on a door was 1988 during mm-hmm. that campaign right and you know at the time I thought um, I thought a lot of things I was the only person in America who thought Michael Dukakis could win I did <laughs> okay well then two of us thought he could okay. win yeah um, but I also thought that if we could just elect all the right people, we could solve all our problems. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've noticed, but none of those things happened. True. Um, uh, and so I I started to, I did a lot of different things. You know, I worked with feminist activists at the National Organization for Women on these huge national mobilizations. And I start my my theory of change, so to speak, started to evolve. You know, I worked with union members on building stronger unions. And I worked with gun violence prevention activists. And I worked with teachers and former teachers who were who were fighting for organi- uh, for educational justice in their communities. And my my theory of change started to evolve where I started to think, Yes, we need to elect all the right people. We need to pass the right laws. We need to have the right leaders, but we really need to do more than win. Um, we need to build power. You know, I was talking with one of my sort of formational organizing bosses. She was the first, uh, first supervisor I ever had in actual organizing instead of political campaigns. And so I was talking to her about the difference between organizing and mobilizing. Mm-hmm. And she said, she thought about it for a second. She said, organizing is transformational. Where And I sort of understood what she meant at that time. So we have to win, right? We have to elect all the right mm-hmm. people. We have to pass the right laws. We have to have the right leaders in place. And we have to do more than win. With the... <laughs> 
Mira, I mean, I love what you just said because earlier today on my on-air program, KPFT 90.1 FM uh, show, Politics and Right, a caller called in. First of all, uh, an initial caller called in and spoke about those people uh, that simply have given up on voting. And it was specific. He was specific to black men not voting. And, you know, a, a black guy called in and he said, yes, he was talking to me. And yes, I don't see the value in voting anymore because, you know, uh, we don't really get a choice on who to elect. Here's what you've just said to us. You've said, wait a minute, it's not just enough to elect the people, the right people. There is more. And I was trying to explain to the uh, to the young man that there was more. And I think that is what you're alluding to as far as organizing above and beyond the elected. Am I, am I, did I get that right at all? I think so. I, I think about political campaigns as mobilizing. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a, a friend who is a longtime organizer who is really brilliant. And he says, you have to organize before you can mobilize. And so yeah. organizing is this sort of intangible, squishy, abstract thing in some ways where I think about the definition of organizing is bringing people together to build power. And when those people are together, when we have consensus, when we trust each other, when we have relationships with each other, we can move together to mobilize. Right, right. You know, it's interesting, Mira, because, um, and this is, a, is, this is for the wrong cause, but it's exactly what you're talking about. If you look at the consistency of, let's say, the Trump voter, the ones that he can do no wrong for, there is a strong trust among that group as well as trust, even to a person that isn't trustworthy. But they're exhibiting all the things that you would like to see simply, however, on the correct side of values. I think so. It's tough to it's tough to make that shift, right? Hard to put myself in those shoes. I know. And I think there's something special and different about that group of folks. And and I haven't quite figured out what it is. It's you know, I think that there was similar um following mm-hmm. to Obama. Mm-hmm. But you know, of course, I'm an Obama supporter, so I think it's different. Right. Right. So it's hard to to be uh, I'm not sure there is any such thing as objectivity. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to sort of put myself in the shoes of someone who thinks about following Donald Trump the way that many of us follow Obama. Right. right. It's hard to make that equivalency. Um, well, I think you answered that already, though. I mean, if you take a look at narrative, right? The narrative that these guys and, you know, I get Trumpists that call into my program and, you know, I am very respectful in in the way I deal with them. But one of the things that they have, all of them, they have a narrative and it's a narrative that plays to their culture, a narrative that plays to their beliefs, a narrative that. And, you know, when Obama came into power or or when Obama started his uh, uh, what what was the phrase again? Uh, uh, 
you know, we are who we're, we've been looking for and that those sort of things, it is something that we could hold on to. And it felt real, right? To those people, you know, it feels real. And you're organizing, when you talk about organizing to win, it's generating that narrative, in my opinion, at least, to those, even including those who have a false narrative. How can you bring that to them? You know, I think about this in a couple of ways. And it's the easiest way to talk about it is in terms of elections, even though elections are really more a mobilization than an organizing. But I think that there are elements of organizing that we can bring into traditional politics. And I started to think about this. um, This is sort of a long-winded answer to your question, but it's how I think about it. I started to think about this um, after the 2018 midterms. Um, I helped turn uh, one of the, at least one of the Orange County, California districts blue in 2018. And then in the general, (laughs) yeah, well, we could talk a long time about that. I also, you know, in 2018, I worked with um, a gun violence prevention organization on a member engagement campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but after that election, I was talking with someone who was also involved in one of those, the flipped districts. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me, you know, we have all these fabulous volunteers who want to keep going, but we don't have anything for them to do. Oh, and I was oh, like, oh, dude, oh, <laughs> there's always yeah. something to do. But it got me to thinking because I thought, you know, in 2018, there were folks who voted for Democratic U.S. House candidates mm-hmm. because they didn't like to see children in cages. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be with us on gun violence. They're not going to be with us on on certain issues. Right. But they didn't like to see kids in cages. And I, I thought to myself, you know, those people are not ours forever. Mm-hmm. But that's because we don't have a relationship with them. Amen. Right? Yes. And if we could apply some kind of relationship building, you know, traditional organizing tactics to these uh, communities, then we may be able to shift them. So I was thinking about that and kind of spinning up the organizing campaign in my mind and talking with another friend of mine, a friend of mine who's been really instrumental in the shift that Orange County has made. Mm-hmm. I was talking to him about this and he said, well, that's right. And there are also folks that we're not talking to and that's why they're not involved. And so I was thinking about that as you were telling the story of the caller, because there's also a community of people that, that we're just not talking to. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and because they don't vote because we don't have a relationship with them. Right. So why should they, there's been a 50 year campaign to convince many, many communities of people that politics is just not about you. Oh, don't worry about it. Politics isn't about you. And we're not talking to them, right? So why should they vote? Of course, they're not going to engage with us because we're not talking to them. And so it's these two communities of voters or potential voters that we're not talking to, that we have no relationship with, right? And that's the basis of organizing is when you build a relationship you can move into action together. And we don't have relationships with these folks. So I've, you know, there's a, the, I think there's a whole lot of things we can do to move some of the tactics of traditional organizing to communicate and engage with 
you know, these two different kinds of communities broadly defined? You know, Mira, that actually is not a long-winded answer. That was the perfect answer. And, uh, and the reason why is the, the, the way you ended the magical portion is we don't have a relationship with them, with those, with that young woman uh, who told you, I have all these people with nothing to do. They have a lot to do building mm-hmm. relationships. And there's an interesting thing because I'm in Kingwood, a very red district, uh, probably much redder than what Orange County used to be. And uh, it turns out here in Texas that if we take a look at how the, 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 the mixture of the church and the social organizations get together to nurture these uh, people to the right, to nurture them with things that are not really in their best interest, but they feel the love, you know, they feel the love. So right. they follow the love. So I think you nailed it. And with organizations like yours, uh, understanding that, because what we have, in my opinion, and you tell me if you, you think I'm wrong or not, is we have a lot of, and people don't like when I say this, but we have a lot of elitist organizations in Washington that seem to believe they know how to talk to somebody in Idaho or Orange County or, or Harris County in the redder areas, et cetera. But they don't. But those are who get paid uh, to, to come with the analysis. And then a Mira Weinstein uh, is trying to build funds for organizing to win, have to go scratch to be able to do what she just proved needs to be done. So, well, you know, let's be clear. I'm not the only one who has this brilliant idea. No, 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 no. no. I understand. And I wasn't trying to imply that. I'm trying to say I know a lot of organizations like yours that are doing the, the necessary work to go out there and and do exactly what you said, right? But again, they need the recognition, they need the funding, they need all all these types of actions to get truly get moving. Yeah. Mira, uh, look, give me a closer. Tell me what I should have asked you that I didn't. Tell me something that you wanted us to cover more in detail. Let's close this baby out. I think we can't be afraid to talk about power. You know, power is neutral. And sometimes we get hung up or intimidated out of talking about power. Yet power is the ability to act. And if what we want to do is build inclusive, equitable communities, we need to talk about power. Not power over, but power with. And so that the the meaning of organizing is bringing people together to build power together, right? And the key words being people together in power. Um, And so I think that if we could, if we have that opinion or that perspective on power, we're not afraid to build it because it's power with, not power over. Mira Weinstein, founder and organizer of Organizing to Win. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right. Please keep up that great work that you're doing. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was a, a great opportunity to talk about the things I love most. 
All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. That was actually a very important discussion. Harry, I'm coming to you, but I want to say something real quickly. Because I was going over all the interviews that I did, and I, I, I got a fairly good balance, but it was sort of difficult. Uh, because even in a very progressive space, welcome aboard, Melanie Keelan. Welcome aboard, Eric Hayes. Welcome aboard, Alistair Waters. Thank you for being here on at, at KPFT online. At, uh, on YouTube and Facebook. Anyhow, um, I, I'm coming to you, Harry, but I, I really want to say this because I want to say this for, for other folks out there that are bringing people into the fold, into the discussion, into the discourse. Even in a very liberal, progressive space like it was out there at Netroots Nation, uh, most of the folks that were brought, that were initially brought to me uh, for interviews were guys, right? And um, I just felt like, you know, the poli... Women are more than half the politics in America. Punto final. That's that's the reality. So I I went out there and I would go out into the into the field and try to. There are a lot of impactful women in many organizations, and a lot of times when the spokespersons are coming, I, I, they they send the guy or or that sort of stuff. I I made it. I was intentional on on making sure that. These great women that are out there making a difference were represented. Um, I just thought I needed to say that after talking to Mira and her talking about relationships, etc. A lot of times, the, the relationships have to be built in every spectral possible. So even here at our program, when we have a lot of call-ins, and I love the guys who call in, but women... Uh, Please participate. I understand a whole lot of times why uh, people of certain different, uh, what is the word that I, uh, grievances or whatever, just throw their hands up, even in, including, let's say, GE that called yesterday that he was on my mind why I immediately played uh, this particular interview about not being voting alone, but participation. You know, yesterday he was impactful on my thoughts after the show was like, wow, we have to find a way. How do I get to GE and say, I beg you to stay engaged. I understand why you, you don't. Or I, I can actually empathize with that. But I implore you, let's, let's, let us find a way for us to continue engagement. Anyway, Harry, come on in. Uh, good morning, Roberto. Good morning, I sir. I uh, her name is Mira. What's her full name? Mira what? Mira Weinstein. Mira Weinstein. Um, she's got the right idea. We have to bring people together. And uh, I voted for Michael Dukakis too back in '88, hoping he'd win. I thought felt he'd be better for the country. Uh, but I also listened to GE after uh, you finished talking with me yesterday, and GE as Berto just said there a moment ago. We implore you. It's a black men's vote. Do count. You need to get out there and vote along with everyone else. Uh, Wait, let me, let me, uh, Harry, I want to interrupt in a, 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 in one particular way because, um, you know, G, GE happens to be black, right? But the sentiment that GE is talking about is the same sentiment I hear in too many millennials and Gen Zs who have given up on, on, on uh, electoral politics, irrespective of race. So I, I, I want to, uh, yes, we, we, we centralize that GE is a black man that, that represent a particular demographic, 
but this is something that is more endemic in, uh, in, in a lot of people right now. And it's a cancer that we have to figure out how to get to. And I think Mira, Mira, when Mira talks about relationships, Mira nails it, right? Uh, we, we have to build yeah. better relationships and reasoning. Go ahead, um, Harry. Right. We've got to reach people. Democrats must get their message out. Like Tom Hartman always says on his program, uh, repeating what Bernie Sanders said when he was on his show, that democracy is not a spectator sport. It never was right. intended to be. It requires yes, sir. everyone. And in order yes, for it to uh, work, everybody must participate that wants to uh, participate. Otherwise, democracy will die. And we'll have autocracy. And the reason why we've got the Supreme Court the way it looks, the way it does, is a lot of people stayed home. I can understand a lot of people did not like Hillary Clinton. I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton either, but there are other choices. You can vote Green Party. You can vote People's Party. I voted for Jill Stein back then, as I told you on an earlier show previously. But if you, if you believe in our voting system, you must vote. Get, get Thank you, Harry. Vote. Harry, got to jump to tag, but you're, you know what you're saying is absolutely so. And I, I know you probably want to say a quick word to Howard for playing that thing that he played for you. So go ahead real quick. Let's get, let's get to tag. I joined uh, Adam Day and Peter White, and I'll send you some more requests, Howard. Uh, Joe McBride's one of the artists. I'll, I'll send you some uh, uh, requests um, for those in the future. But all those requests, when you get a chance, um, you know, hey, hey, I got to cut you, brother. I got to cut you. We got to get more to politics, buddy. So, but look, I, Howard, you want to respond real quick? We'll talk more. All right. Oh, we're good. We're good. All right. All right. Let's go ahead and go to tag. Good morning, uh, Berto. Good morning, sir. Uh, before, hold on, tag. Hey, folks, 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. And I tell you what, the first woman to call, we're going to say a big, 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 big hurrah. We want everybody participating here. 713-526-5738. Hit extension number two, and we get you on air right away. Come on in, Tag. I just uh, want to start out by saying uh, it's time to put our money where our mouths are again and uh, support the station. So I hope, I hope people will start uh, taking that up. Um, oh, thank you so kindly, that, brother. That that money that we're putting into supporting the station is doing great things, like actually being able to hear the caller when we call in. We also, I don't know what happened, but you guys did a great job on getting the uh, both sides of the conversation when we're, we're listening on the phone. So we I, fixed I, it. I I appreciate you guys for doing that. Um, you know, I just wanted to say one quick thing about. Uh, uh, living in a civil society, which we supposedly do, correct? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, you know, now all of a sudden we have in the courts a a, a conversation about uh, free speech. And I was always led to believe that in a civil society where we honor free speech, there are some things that we just cannot say. And one of those things is that, uh, we we're not we're not really able to incite violence in our speech. It's not free speech uh, inciting violence, and I think that we've had this guy who for a long time has been inciting violence amongst other things in his speech, and nobody's really stood up and said anything about it. 
And I don't think it's really being well uh, portrayed in the courts right now. But the fact is, is that if you really think that we need uh, freedom in our speech to incite violence, you're going to be living in a society that you're not going to like. And, and I think we all all need to um, to, to not honor uh, that type of speech. Tag, you 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 brought up something that allowed me to segue into a very important topic. So I want you to hold right here. Stay with me for a second. Um, the, yeah, here here's the deal. Um, we have a media that is derelict, and I don't think it's purposeful. I think it is more a media that wants to placate all sides to communicate, but in doing so, since one side is more obstinate than the other, meaning the, the, the right side has a tendency to take their ball and run quicker than, let's say, the left side, what happens is we try to placate folks. But hear me out here. Hear me out. The, the free speech argument that Trump is making is bunk, Okay. Uh, if I am if I am organizing a coup, if I'm organizing a bank robbery, if I'm organizing any of these things, I am committing a crime. You can't use free speech to get out of it. And that's a known thing. That's constitutional. And it would be held up anywhere because I would have been part of the con. But here's the thing. The media, because the media gives it plausibility, the media comes out and says, well, Trump is using as his defense free speech. We don't know if you can do that. No, that's not what the media is supposed to be saying here. There are certain things that are black and white. As an example, as soon as he brings out the free speech, they shouldn't ask him if, they, if you think it's valid to bring the free speech out because that then tells the vast majority of Americans that there is plausibility to that argument. There is none. Let me give you a, a, the perfect example of how horrendous that, that media behavior is. During the, uh, uh, during, uh, when Obama was running for the, for the presidency, they said Obama was a foreigner. Obama was born in Kenya. Obama was born in, 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 in uh, Thailand or, or all these other things. But what they didn't tell you or what they didn't point out is, so what? Let's make the assumption Obama was born in, in, in Zambia. Let's make the assumption Obama was born in whatever country they want to assign him to. Obama's mother was a white American from Kansas. That made Obama a natural-born citizen, irrespective of where his mother had him. And as the example we also have, John McCain, who was born in Panama, my country, Okay, and he was never considered a Panamanian. He was always a natural born American that actually run for president. And myself as a Panamanian, even born in the same hospital that that he was born in, I was born in the same hospital as John McCain. But I had to go through naturalization from being a Panamanian to becoming an American. So, I mean, there are certain things. I mean, the media partially makes Americans less smart than they should be. This isn't a discussion whether uh, uh, whether Trump can use free speech as an argument. What they're doing is giving it plausible deniability. They're giving the Ameri they're snowing the Americans in to say, "Oh, maybe it's a it's a free speech issue. It's not a free speech issue, nor it should be considered." And the media should come out absolutely and say that's not an argument. And sadly, because of the state of our mainstream media. 
that's what we get. And I beg on people, support uh, organizations like KPFT that has no prob- uh, that has no problem giving you the real facts, the real truth, etc. Hey, Tag, you got to go to Gonzalo. Anything else you want to say real quickly? Yes, very quickly, is that as much as the media, we, we want them to pick up this mantle and, and fight for it as far as free speech. Or The fact is, is that we really need a, uh, a legal system. We need the courts. We need these people to come in and, and throw the hammer down on people who are not following these social norms that we expect out of people. Got you, and, Doc. Uh, you know, I got you, Tag. You're absolutely right, brother. Let me move on to Gonzalo Tag. Look, thank you for calling every time you call. Love the input that you have, sir. Let's go to Gonzalo real quickly. Gonzalo, come on in. Hi, how are you doing, Alberto? Perfectamente, hermano mío. Talk to me. Okay, uh, going back to what Tag says, we live in a civil society. Uh, It means that... We, uh, our society is run by civilians versus other societies that are run by military people. I have nothing against military people. They are good and they do their job whenever it's necessary. But I think we have to make that distinction between civil government and military government. Agreed. Going back to Cuba, and uh, I'm going to say hello to our friend Johnny, although we slightly disagree. I don't think that it's a big disagreement because we both listen to KPFT, but we both <laughs> listen to you, Vecto. We are pro, uh, progressive. We are uh, uh, not uh, hardcore Republicans. If he misunderstood my words when I said uh, do nothing jobs, and he thought I was another Cuban with the same uh, mindset, no, I'm not. And I'm glad that he brings up his uh, 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 point of view about imperialism and all that stuff, which I don't completely agree with, but I get it. I get it. I think Cuba would have been better if uh, Castro would have stepped down in the 90s in the first crisis, and he would have been a great hero for the Cuban people. The problem is that he was already uh, in his mindset. He was the owner of a country, and then he just uh, gave him to his brother. And now his brother has appointed a puesto a dedo, and you know what that word means. And it's going to be like that on and on. All the people in the uh, top positions are military, and that's why the country is the way it is. So, Johnny, if you want to see what uh, Castro uh, 1959 is, go to Cuba. I invite you to go there. There are good things. I was graduated from a university, and I have a degree from Cuba, proud to say. But I would say also that things could have been different. You know, um, I'm sorry. I think America could give more to us that we can offer to America. And I think the alliances with Russia and China, they are too far and they are too extremist. And that's my point of view. Thank you, Alberto. Wait, wait, don't don't go, Gonzalo. Don't go, because what you've said is a lot and very important. First of all, as a a Cuban, you have all right to be the person who, who talks about 
Cuba from your point of view. Now, from an international, I can speak about Cuba from a from two perspectives or, or from three perspectives: from being an Afro Latino, from being a an internationalist, and also for for like for being from being Caribbean. And uh, you, as well as I know, that the Cuba of Batista was the Cuba of Southern America, was the Cuba of where the people who looked like me were sweeping the floors, dancing, or doing nothing right. When Castro came into power, uh, people who looked like me... I'm going to let you talk, Gonzalo. I promise, I promise. People who looked like me after Castro came... Yeah, let, let, let me finish, and I promise you come back in, sir. Um, after, after Castro, people who looked like me became engineers, lawyers, doctors, and everything else. The other thing about Castro is Castro's intentions in the beginning, and I think you would agree with me, Gonzalo, were benevolent because of who Batista was. And we also, I think, can agree that Castro's original uh, country that he wanted to align with was not Russia and China, but was America. But because America was this capitalist, imperialist country that only was allowing things its way, it shoved Castro into the arms of uh, a communist state, as opposed to saying, we're going to, yes, okay, uh, Castro had the, the voice of the people, and we are at that time, and we are going to find some middle ground to work with with Castro, and we starved, we starved, we, um, we, we, we simply starved the Cubans. We, 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 we didn't treat Russia or Vietnam or any other country like we treated Cuba. Don't you agree with everything that I've said thus far without compromising your values? Okay. Uh, I was born in 72. I got uh, uh, the information from books that were uh, uh, biased. I understand now because I reach, uh, I have access to other sources. What my father told me, he was born in 33, 1933, son of immigrants from Spain, poor people that came uh, after the wars, and they uh, worked their ass off to uh, build what they got, a house and a, a son with education. He got public and free education. And when Castro came into power, he was working for Nestle, and he had a decent salary, a decent life. He didn't mingle with politics. That was not his goal. It was never his goal. He was a humble and a decent man. And we saw all the transformation you said from Castro, from being a, a, a guy with novel ideas. I, I don't doubt about that. But the problem is, how long did he stay in power? He will let Biden to be in power. Of course, he's not going to be that much because he's already uh, old. But if you let uh, Biden in power when he was um, 47 years ago, 48 years ago, what would Biden have become? We don't know. That's a good guess. No, no. I Look, and I, I, you know, I cannot disagree with you there. I mean, Castro change. Hugo, I mean, uh, uh, Eric is uh, also pointing out Venezuela, right? Uh, the Nicaraguan guy, the Sandinista. Oh, yeah. idea. Somoza was very bad. Now, what is he doing? He's worse than Somoza. Yes. So you now, what, what, a lot of... 
I'm sorry. So we got a little crosstalk. I'm sorry. My only point. Yeah. No, no, I don't look. I don't think there's a big disagreement there now. There, there's some cultural issues in that, you know, you mentioned, well, your daddy came from Spain and he, he went to Cuba and he was able to work himself up, et cetera, et cetera. Grandparents. My grandparents. Right? Say that again. My grandparents. Your grandparents. I'm sorry. Your grandparents came from Spain and were able to work themselves up. But, you know, for. For those, uh, for those that were there for several hundred years, the Africans, etc., they never got that opportunity to get the land and build themselves up until Castro. And I think that is something that a lot of folks need to understand when it comes slightly, from perspective. I slightly disagree with you. Uh, I'm going to tell you why Castro... Sure, go ahead, sir. Uh, okay, my point. Castro didn't embrace the Russians because he had no choice. He had a vendetta with the uh, his uh, first wife uh, family, the Diaz Balar, and you know. Yeah, I remember that. Means in the American po uh, politics, so it it was a vendetta to me. That's my humble opinion, because the Diaz Balar were rich and powerful, were close to Batista, and they let him an opportunity when he was assaulting the Moncada or whatever. He was just a, a, a mafia guy. That was his name. They call him Bola de Churre. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mira, mira, mira. <laughs> he was a terrorist. Listen, um, uh, let me just say this. When he says that Julio was a, 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 a spell, a, a terrorist spell in modern world. So if we translate that, and Johnny will disagree with me, they were terrorists. They they put ex explosives in uh, I tell you, uh, Gonzalo, Gonzalo. I look. You are bringing up some great stuff for a great topic. I don't want I don't want to change over completely what we're dealing with today. But let me tell you, um, we are going to have a program on this, and this is this. The, the good thing about this is we can be conversational on these issues. I think, like you said, ninety percent of what we're talking about we agree with, even with Cuba. But I am I have some strong beliefs on not only Cuba but Venezuela because of my history, because of the history that I know of the Los Indios, Los Antianos, y los los Africanos in that area. Okay, so we'll talk another time Gonzalo but I really I really enjoy the conversation and we'll continue this another time okay and uh, by the way send my regards to Johnny he is still our friend <laughs> and we have a fellowship here okay thank you brother yeah oh hermano mío de Cuba te hablo más tarde all right let's go to Brian come on in Brian yeah can you hear me of course I can hear you, Bran. You're distinctive, sir. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, I really agree with uh, your last caller about uh, communist Cuba. Mm -hmm. He's not the uh, perfect person that uh, now the children are making him out to be. He was a killer. Okay, Just let me let me first say this, um, Brian. Was it Chu Chavara? How many people did he personally have killed? Known to be 104. Mm -hmm. He killed homosexuals. And now he's he's a hero in the children's eyes. Okay. I le, let communism. me you, okay. you think you understand communism, but until you actually marry a woman that has been a communist, 
you never truly understand the communist way of thinking. Okay, uh, Brian, I want to I wanted to tell you something that even Brother uh, Trump said, right? Um, if you think, and, and first of all, I am not a communist at all. All right, I am a free enterpriser. I think I've already told you that. Now that said, uh, no, I mean you again. You can you can frame it however you choose to frame it. I know who I am, and most of our audience know who I am. But but here's the thing, my brother, and and notice you're still my brother. Um, I. I, I I don't have the time to get into the Castro thing because I'm not a Castro worshiper. I'm not a, a Hugo Chavez worshiper. I always say there's a reason why those people are there, and it has a lot to do with who we are as Americans. But I'm going to ask you to hold on to that thought, Brian, because we're coming to the end, and I have more people to talk to. And I want to add, and I thank you for calling in and saying you agree with the previous caller. Call in tomorrow because we're going to take this a step further. I, I like where you were, were taking this, and it gives me a chance to expand further. So I'm going to let you go now, and I'm going to go to Mikhail. Go ahead, real quick. Go ahead, Brian, real quick. No, no, it's probably going to be Johnny as the next caller, right? No, no, it's not Johnny. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll call you back tomorrow. But... Thank you, brother, and, and great listening to you. All right, Mikhail, come on in. Michael, you're on, Michael. Michael, are you there? You're there. Come on in. Okay, let's go to Johnny. Well, it turns out, Brian, it's Johnny because Michael disappeared. Come on in, Johnny. Poor Brian. Take some blood pressure medication, Brian, like I do. <laughs> I knew some people who lived in Cuba when they were children. Her father was an engineer. She's probably deceased by now. Uh, I met her in the nursing home. She was one of my charges. And in her room, she had, you know, those little porcelain dolls that look like black people, uh, like uh, they're holding uh, a riding crop for a horse and they've got a hat on? Yes. I don't know what to call those dolls, but she... After talking to her for hours and hours and hours, I realized she was a racist, just like some people in my family. By the way, some people in my family and their restaurant had similar kinds of uh, collectibles, if you want to call it. And when I saw that in my family's restroom, it made me sick to my stomach. Anyway, to cut, make this long story short, the people who live in South Florida who identify as Republicans, they, uh, their, their generation is dying out, but they have transmitted their hate and visceral, visceral hate for democracy and for true free, uh, free enterprise to their children now, who are rabid Trump voters. They think they have this family legacy, this entitlement to go back to Cuba and take back the land that they think they owned or entitled to and the businesses that they ran and treat the people who live there, the native uh, Cubans, to treat them like crap, like they did before uh, Fidel and the Cuban people. Yeah, for Batista. Yeah, before they displaced Batista, who was a make-believe, supposedly democratically elected leader. He was just a puppet of the corporate industrial uh, agricultural concerns of the United States. This is what we do. And that's why uh, Fidel Castro behaved the way he did, because every time he turns around, the United States is trying to assassinate him. You can't be normal when somebody's trying to breathe down your neck to literally kill you. 
we need to apologize to the uh, the Venezuelan people, the Cuban people, and the people of Iran, and start true de- democracy. Because guess what? The people in Iran, they were democratic before we sent over our CIA people to to overthrow to overthrow the, uh, the and install the Shah. You're correct. This is the same pattern over and over and over again. And the people in Florida, they are purposefully blind because they think that they should go back to take what they think they're entitled to. And brother, that's not. Yeah, but let me let me just do one thing because I just feel a necessity to defend my brother Gonzalo because Gonzalo is is in a different place. I mean, you know, you can live in a like I have a lot of Panamanians that don't they don't see the portion of Panama that that wasn't that they lived a comfortable life, right? And and it's easy to overlook that when things are natural. And I think that's why I want to have the discussion on some other time with Gonzalo. But my phones are filling up, Johnny. And like usual, like I said, you're a part of this show. So I, 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 no matter what you call, you get yourself in. But we got to go, uh, Johnny, to Donald, okay? Okay, it's a can of worms, and you're the man to unravel it. Thank you, brother. Let's go to Donald. Come on in, Donald. Donald, you're hot. Uh, you're great American political experiment. I love it. Those were Americans call it. They have different viewpoints, but you respect that and you allow them to speak. So as I always say, carry on the good work. And that's all I got to add. Wow. You make me feel good. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate your call in, Donald. Okay. Later. Have a yes, good sir. one. All right, let's get to Steve. Come on in, Steve. Yeah, well, first of all, Philly Hinfield Batista was not a fake Democrat. He was a full-out, mafia-controlled, vicious dictator. Yes, he was. Nothing but boots and evil and force and terror to rule Cuba. And, and you know, that's one of the reasons why Bill Castro came down from the mountains with his fighters and people erupted into celebrations on the streets of Havana. Yes. Hey, wait a minute. Is this Steve? This voice. Oh God. Thank you for calling in brother Steve. I mean, this voice is unique. <laughs> I love your energy this morning, my friend. Thank you. Hey folks, you got to realize this is Steve from the, well, let's, should, why don't you, why don't you say it, man? I, I like the way you bring it in. <laughs> okay. I'm Steve Hunter. And yeah, I'm going to be on the air in about a little over an hour from now. And by the way, I'm going to invite you to join me this morning because we're going to be talking a little bit about the RICO legislation that looks as like is going to be governing Mr. Trump's trial in Georgia. It's just in general, how you know how, how we save the world. But that's another important one. Great show this morning at Cuba. How well, let me let me let me tell you, you you just made the show greater, brother Hunter. You know, I mean, uh, guys, don't forget. Right after Amy, who comes on in the next three minutes, four minutes or so, is going to be Steve Hunter with you talk, and we want to hear that, baby. We want to hear what he has to I, offer. I, I just wanted to. First of all, I really did want to say what I said, and not, I didn't expect you. I guess it's kind of difficult, given my voice, not to figure out who it is, but. The point is this, uh, you, you're dealing with a, with a topic that ultimately comes down to one thing, a vicious, a, a truly mafia-led regime that was a, 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 simply a toady, a toy of the mafia in the United States, and as a matter of fact, worldwide, uh, organized crime. It was, I, I can't imagine a regime more corrupt 
those ages. Well, no. I mean, at that point, there were a lot of corrupt regimes in the world, but Batista was way up there. And how many miles off the U.S. shore? Come on, 90 miles. Whatever. Yep, this, exactly. This this was, I mean, in those days, you could shield yourself from looking at what was going on in Central America. I mean, the quote, banana republics and so on. But that was, <laughs> people went to Cuba to celebrate themselves as clearly on the backs of the people. Uh, exactly. Hey, Steve, you in this business, so you know we're coming to a hard break right now, and I still we still have to give that that ending time to our great guys in that control room to give us some final thoughts. So thank you so kindly, my brother, and I'll see you at 8. Yep, hope so. Bye. All right, man. All right. Hey, brother, brother Reynolds and Van Bever, your thoughts? It's 30 seconds. Well, another great show, Egberto. It always takes these twists and turns, and we never thought we'd get a history lesson on Cuba. So here we go with that. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed what uh, what Mira Mira Weinstein said: "Power with, not power over." That was a marvelous statement. Yes, it was. Anyway, folks, as usual, I want to thank all of you for your ears and for your eyeballs, those of you who watched it online. Remember, this is what we do, 713-526-5738, extension number one, if you want to say, we want to support a station that is going to open our eyes, a station that's going to say, let's go ahead and look things in the proper way. Let's have a station that invites Everyone, let's have a station that makes a difference. Thank you, Dr. Van Beber and Reynolds. This is Egberto Woolies, and you guys know how I end this show. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. <laughs> <laughs>